0: PV Radio, Central Texas. You're listening to the hottest, most off-controversial, off-the-meters Christian radio station in the land. In the learn. The Psalmist voice radio network. Are you ready to walk, family? Let's go! There are everyday actions to help prevent the spread of the coronavirus. Wash your
1: hands. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Cover your cough or sneeze. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects. And remember, you're safer at home. For more information, visit cdc.gov slash COVID-19. This message brought to you by Live 365 in this station.
0: What's good, radio family? The Thomas Voice Radio Network has an all-star lineup just for you. Just pick your flavor. Starting with on Sundays, the Summer's Voice Reloaded at 2 p.m. Central Standard Time. Followed by Cell Life with Michael Ceballos at 4:30 p.m. Monday, The Grub at 12 noon. Darcy Patterson, the reality coach at 6 p.m. Tuesdays, Victory over the weights of life with Sister Deanne LeBreen at 6 p.m. Fridays, Real Talk with Pastor Byron Sago at 4 p.m. Saturdays is our triple hitter, and it starts off with Saturdays for Fest with Sister Lorraine Brown, followed by Brother Now Present with Pastor Gene Homer at 4 p.m., and Bar Nation with Sandra Grace at 7 p.m. The Salmon's Voice presents by appointment only. Coming soon, TPV Radio's open mic, open to all pastors, preachers, and artists, and we're going to get it in to be announced. You can also catch us on Live 365, 24-7, just search the Thomas Voice Radio Network, and you're in there. Walk with us, family, let's go! At Javina Distributing, we got your covering for your winter and summer needs. One size fits all. To order yours today, please message them on Facebook at Javina Distributing or call 616-929-2991 or 517-489-6923. Or you can order from the website, www.allsportheadgear.com, and type in promo code SIRON2020 to receive 20% off your purchase. Let's get it. Let's go. At Majel's Products, we care for a better you. Our handmade natural ingredients to give you healthier skin, body, and stronger hair. Like our face, foot, hair, and body care products. To order yours today, please visit our website at www.majalesproducts.com or on Facebook at Majales Products. Get yours today! Get your faster results without breaking the bank. You never heard Christian radio quite like this. Get your fix 24-7 on the Psalmist Voice Radio Network. Radio Network. You're here listening to Cell Life with Michael Savalos right now on TPV Radio. Here's your host of Cell Life, Michael Savalos.
2: Hey, everyone. Hey, everyone. This is Michael Ceviles coming to you from the only active prison cell in the free world. This is Cell Life, the podcast, and we have a great show planned for you today. Uh, I want to open up with a little word of prayer, please. Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, Lord. Just thanking you for allowing us to come together today, Father, to uh, share your word and share your experiences, Father, that you give us, Father. And we just ask that you continue to just guide us in the right direction. We ask for clarity and understanding on our show today, Father, and we love you with all our heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so uh, this is Cell Life, and uh, we have a great show planned for you today. We have a gentleman on today uh, named Wolf Sittler, and uh, Wolf has been in the uh, prison reform business for quite some time. He was a probation. Let me just go ahead and read your resume. And we also have uh, Sandra Grace Martinez on with us today. Hello, y'all. How y'all doing? Wolf and Sandra Grace, how are y'all? I'm doing great, I'm doing thanks just, for having me too. Good, I'm good. Thank y'all now. for coming on, Sandra Grace. I, I just want to uh, introduce Sandra Grace a little bit. She is my co-host on uh, Cell Life Amplified on our live Facebook show every night at 9 p.m., and she has been a contributor to uh, the Cell Life uh, experiment since its inception. So uh, we just uh, really appreciate her coming on with us today and uh, sharing her expertise. So anyway, I want to tell you all about our guest today. His name is Wolf Sittler. Uh, he was born in Germany in 1943. In 1947, he immigrated to the U.S. 1965, a B.A. in sociology, Wittenberg University, Springfield, Ohio. In 68, University of Minnesota, MSW, uh, uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota. In 1968 and 71, was a probation officer and parole for the Minneapolis Department of Corrections. 1971 through 74, Drug Counselor, Minneapolis Rehabilitation Center, MRC. 74 through 77, Vocational Rehabilitation Counselor, MRC. 77 through 81, Hennepin County MPLS Domestic Relations Division Family Counselor. 81 through 82, Self-Employed Woodworker, Minneapolis. 83 through 86, Travis County Adult Probation Intensive Supervision Program in Austin, Texas. 1986 to present, self-employed woodworker. 2013 to present, advocate for criminal justice transformation. And that's what we work with a lot here on Cell Life is uh, personal transformation and also uh, criminal justice transformation and reform and educating society on the different issues that we face inside and outside the walls. So after beginning college in 1961, Mr. Wolf Sittler found – he found himself attracted to courses concerning people and justice… Fifty years ago, armed with a social work degree, I sh- he started his first job as a probation and parole officer. Thirty-four years ago, he left social work, Travis County Adult Probation Intensive Supervision Program, after concluding that systems were not designed to actually work. But he never lost his interest in justice issues. Since then, he has been a self-employed woodworker. Seven years ago, I got a letter. He got a letter from a mother who said her son was interested in connecting with him. Uh, He was and still is a Texas prisoner who had read one of his justice reform letters to the editor of the Austin newspaper. He had been sentenced for a first degree at age 17 to 50 years for a non-homicide crime. That reignited his interest in doing something about justice transformation. He decided it was time to redirect his volunteer time to the issue of juvenile sentence to the extreme terms. Since then, he's been in communication with over 10 prisoners, visited the letter writer multiple times, attended meetings at the state capitol, and done lots of research. It is clear to him that the so-called justice system has, has too little justice, justice and relies too much on unexamined ways of how to deal with those caught in it. We can and need to do better to achieve the goals of public safety, preventing new victims, and enabling prisoners to turn their lives around and earn release rather than have it predetermined mandatory minimum. Everyone deserves a second chance. No more one strike and you're out. Wolf. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today, sir. i uh, uh, I know that was a long introduction. I'm not sure if uh, uh, if I uh, should have read it all out, but I thank you so much for coming on the show today, sir. Uh, now I have read uh, through your uh, through the Responsible Prison Project, and uh, I just want to uh, just kind of get your uh, you know introduce yourself and just uh, take us where you want us to go. Wolf today.
1: All right. Well, thank you, Michael, for that introduction. Yes, sir. uh, uh, That Responsible Prison Project uh, was a result of my contact with that first prisoner you mentioned. And uh, after talking with him, that kind of reignited my interest. So I started uh, doing some research on the Internet, actually, to find out, uh, well, what are prisoners saying about life inside and Uh, Ended up with this one guy who had written an article, and uh, we started communicating, and uh, after a year or two, uh, I asked him, well, uh, we talked about how prisons could be better places to spend time, Uh, although neither one of us agreed that prisons were always the best option for someone caught up in the justice system. uh, He said, well, he knew a lot of guys that had ideas about how to make prisons better. And so I suggested, well, why don't you, you know, put that stuff in writing and send it to me and I'll, uh, you know, help spread the word. So in September, 2016, I got this big envelope with uh, over a hundred pages of, uh, you know, work from these five guys.
3: And right. it turns
1: out they were, turns out they were all students in the Darrington seminary, where they have a program to uh create field ministers who go out to the different units to help with you know make those units better places with spiritual sure uh sure. counseling and, sure sure uh, i I've,
2: I've I've dealt with several field ministers uh they, they they have a tough job but yeah excellent go ahead Wolf. Yeah,
1: yeah they do and and I don't think uh the uh prison administration thought about well if you start educating prisoners they're going to come up with uh they're going to start getting creative and coming up with uh, some good ideas and uh sure so it, some solutions. They, i i read yeah so i read this report and i thought well darn this there's a lot of good ideas in there about uh how to make the prison experience a one that really accomplishes the mission that the department of corrections already has or the department of criminal sure. justice so and we that's are going what to get their,
2: into the, Go ahead. We are going to get into their mission statement. Some aren't we?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Now the uh, the mission statement. I don't have it right in front of me, but basically it's a, it's the mission. statement. I have statement. it. I can read it. Okay. Why don't you read it?
2: <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, this is a. I guess this is a fragment of it. It's it's straight out of your, uh, out of the Responsible Prison Project. It just says the mission statement of TDCJ is to provide public safety, promote positive change in a. Fender behavior, reintegrate offenders into society, and assist victims of crime. Yeah, yeah, that that's exactly
1: right. And that was the uh, uh, guiding light for these guys working on this responsible prison project. They wanted to make sure that what they were proposing was consistent with that mission, because they all felt that it was important to do whatever they could to make sure that that mission is accomplished.
2: And, uh absolutely Sandra grace so has, w- has also uh worked on uh I know that she's uh dissected the mission statement from TDCJ uh, quite a bit, but we have talked about that uh some as well so i'm so I'm really interested in hearing what they had to say with
1: yeah well uh, it turns out that uh well before we get to that what what I did with that uh, report was that uh, I made copies of it. I went to a, the Texas board of criminal justice meeting in that fall of, uh, 2016. Uh, each one of the members of the board got a copy. A copy went to, uh, director Collier to, uh, institutional director, Lori Davis. I, uh, sent uh, digital copies to John Whitmire and, uh, other, uh, people involved in corrections that down at the state Capitol, uh, I sent it to the newspaper and, uh, local magazines and stuff like that. Never got any response. Uh, but at that time, I thought, well, this makes so much sense. I'll just send it out and something will happen. But that's not how things work. You can't just assume because something makes sense that anything to right. happen. And at, at that point, I didn't have the uh, wisdom to initiate a follow-up program to, you know, see what happened, you know, what, what they thought. Uh, the only sure. thing I heard the only thing I heard back was from uh, one of the writers who said uh, they were kind of uh, castigated for using seminary materials to create the document. Uh, they oh. did not get a, they did not get a positive response from uh, administration uh, that basically got criticized. and okay, saying, well, that's how the system is. so uh, that's how it is. But the main thing is the content of their uh, document, which, even you know, since things don't change too much in four years or even 20 years, what they wrote back then four years ago is just as relevant today as it was then. Absolutely. And,
2: absolutely. I, I had uncovered some writings from almost, uh, well, 16, 17 years ago, and they were pretty much the exact same things that are going on today. Well, so they're absolutely relevant.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and what what they do in this uh, document is they list uh, make an entire list of uh, what do you call it a uh, index or something like that, and they break sure. down or the, the table of contents includes everything from uh, uh, intake to visitation, commissary, food services, uh, reentry, individual treatment plans, everything you. Most things you can think about. They don't actually talk about the heat, though, in the Texas prisons, which uh, you know is a really big issue now.
2: Sure. And 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 these guys were on Darrington as well, weren't they? You said they were. Uh, these were all men on the Darrington unit.
1: Yes. At at that time, yeah. they were on the Darrington unit. Now they've graduated and dispersed uh, okay. among other prisons, where they're now field ministers.
2: Sure. Now, now I want to ask you: is There is there a qualification? Uh, I'm not sure if you know, uh, Wolf. If there's, is there a qualification? Do you have to have a certain amount of time uh, in order to become a field minister? Don't you have yeah, to have at, over a certain amount?
1: Yeah, as as a rule, they're looking for students with long sentences because they don't want to put uh, the years of education uh, educating these guys and then have them leave the system. So if you have a long sentence, that's one of the primary qualifications for getting into the program
2: okay okay so I, I i at least you know that's a way for 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 these men with long sentences because they're really not allowed uh to take uh many courses as far as college or vocations because of their sentences so so i think that's a very uh creative way to get them into school so that's good
1: yeah, no, but that, that's very true, and especially true, because the the need for spiritual help when you're in an institution like exists today is really important. And a lot of yes, guys that are in prison, as they look back on their lives, they realize what they did was, uh, you know, not very good at all. And a lot of them want to make amends and make a difference. Um, wherever they are, whether it's in prison or when they get out.
2: Sure. Uh, so go uh, just I know we had talked a little bit earlier, Wolf, about uh, some things you wanted to speak about. I know you said something about the Thirteenth Amendment. Did you want to uh, elaborate on that some?
1: Yes, well, the you know as much as I love the Constitution, it is not a perfect document. And a great example of that is the 13th Amendment, which was supposed to uh, abolish slavery, except they put in that provision unless you were convicted of a crime. So what that basically does is it uh, legitimizes slavery, and that's how it is to this day. It's okay, according to the Constitution, to be a slave if you're a prisoner. And uh, what that basically uh, legitimizes is dehumanizing people because slaves were never seen to be the equal of their masters. And uh, the consequences of that, you can see throughout every prison in this country. And uh, I don't I haven't heard anyone interested in changing that, but I think, at some point, that's just going to have to happen. That amendment will have to be refined to eliminate the uh, exception for making it okay for prisoners to be slaves and in in Texas, well, it is slavery because uh, Texas prisoners get paid nothing for the work that they do, and if you sure. don't do the work if you don't do the work that you're required to do, well there can be negative consequences.
2: yeah. Yeah, there, there absolutely will be negative consequences. Uh, yeah, uh, Sandra Grace, feel free to jump in anytime you like, uh, uh, Miss Sandra Grace, and uh, I know that uh, you're full of, of wealth of information as well. So, uh, you know, I just want to let you know, you just feel free to jump in if you have any questions or anything. So, so uh, uh, Wolf, I want to uh, kind of go over. I, I, I did want to read the the. The section of the Thirteenth Amendment that uh, states that it says neither slavery nor involuntary servitude except as a punishment for crime whereof the party shall have been duly convicted shall exist within the US or any place subject to their jurisdiction. So that that has uh, uh, that does I don't know it's uh, there's always a way for them to you know find someone. Uh, to enslave, it seems. So, anyway, go ahead, Wolf, if you'd like to elaborate a little bit on that.
1: Well, uh, you know, I think in this day and age, there's not hardly anyone around that really approves of slavery. Uh, that's kind of a, you know, a relic of a bygone century, but the remnants of that amendment continue to this day and Impact not only people in prison but uh, people outside of prison and uh, just it just perpetuates the idea that dehumanizing someone is okay and if if it's okay to dehumanize someone, well then like in Texas, it's okay to uh, have prisons where the temperatures are far in excess of what anyone in the real world would tolerate. Uh, it's okay to feed prisoners stuff that's not nutritional or not enough food or whatever, because they're less than we are. You know, we don't have to treat them as equals. Although to me that's quite contrary to uh, the golden rule where you want to treat other people like you'd want to be treated. Sure. So the impact, the impact of that, uh, dehumanizing amendment is uh, is very deep and profound, and it will need to be addressed at some point.
2: Absolutely. And it doesn't really uh, uh, you know, to provide, I just want to kind of dissect the mission statement a little bit. It just says to provide public safety, promote positive change in offender behavior, reintegrate offenders into society, and assist victims of crime. So I mean I've I've you know I did I did a little over twenty seven years Wolf and uh you know were there some programs down there that were uh uh that were helpful for me. Absolutely. You know, uh was was anyone going to teach me how to navigate those programs? No. You know, I had to figure it out uh there's very little help uh once you get into these programs. You have to kind of mm-hmm. seek seek your own rehabilitation but uh which is fine, which is fine, but not every man in there has the same drive as the next, and there's different levels of understanding and education and everything else but uh, I just do not see yeah. the uh, uh, uh you know promoting positive change in offender behavior I don't necessarily see that at all uh the reintegration of offenders into society, I think is lacking. Uh, substantially, I think that we definitely need to get a handle on uh, how we bring these men and women back into society, uh, you know, without without an education, without any type of rehabilitation. But I don't know. Yeah, uh, no, you're,
1: you're you're exactly right about that. And, and the way I look at the existing system is through that lens of the mission statement if something is going on that does not promote positive change in offender behavior, it should not be going on. Uh, and the same with, uh, you know, reentry. If there's, they're supposed to be assisting with reentry, if they're not, well, something needs to be done about it. And from what I can tell, the cha- you know, the changes that need to be made to accomplish that mission statement, they're not coming from the administration, so far, and I think that's because the uh, administration is kind of locked into a, a, a one-sided, more law enforcement perspective about dealing with people, as opposed to a human service professional perspective. Uh, so, for for example, the uh, the whole issue of parole, for example. Uh, in the, If the system was designed to promote positive change in behavior Prisoners would be uh, told what they needed to do to qualify for parole So when they came up for parole They would have already had the opportunity to do that uh, to be sure. prepared instead of the instead of the way it is now you come up for parole and they say well we're gonna let you off but first you got to p- complete this six month program right, right. nine or nine month program yeah. and sure uh, it's, it's like these guys in the responsible prison project say is it all that stuff should be taken care of by the time you come up for a parole review and and it would be that way if the Plan or the programming in the prison was designed to actually promote
2: positive change. sure, sure. the uh, uh, yeah, we definitely need a clear path to parole. We don't need, we, we uh, the men and women inside need to know exactly what they need to do in order to to you know make parole and and rehabilitate themselves and 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 reintegrate back into society. I wanted to talk a, a little bit, uh, Wolf, I want uh, Sandra Grace, if she would uh, elaborate some. We are working on uh, the release of parole-approved uh, individuals during the pandemic, especially the elderly. And uh, and I would just like uh, – Sandra Grace, if you would just elaborate a little bit on that. I know that uh, Wolf has some knowledge in that area as well, and I just – we'd Like, maybe start a conversation on that. I, I know that's been our uh, our mission for the last uh, month or so, Sandra Grace. And I just want to, uh, if you would just share with the audience what, what we got going on there and what we're trying to do.
4: Well, absolutely. Uh, the last several weeks, we've made some broad uh, assessments of TDCJ and, and Michael Savaya Springs. You know a lot of insight from the inside, and of course, you know I've worked in positions similar to to Mr. Sittler, where you know been in, in positions of of overseeing some of these these programs, and also as a mental health care professional, um, I, I see things through that lens um, as well. So, so that that being said, we've made you know some, some well they're not they're not even they're it's overt. I mean the fact is that there's over 11,000 parole or people in jail prisoners that have been approved for parole, and are still there. So um, they are approved. That means that a board member um, of part of the parole here in Texas has said. Based on the file they received, that this person is set to go and it's in terms of parole. So adding uh, the but you have to take this and that and the other um, program that that's been perplexing. I can't I cannot wrap my my mind around it, and it's it's a damn shame that that they're putting um, parole up parole approved inmates in a position of what's next, because that can be a very dangerous place, especially if if you know that you're eligible and now you've been approved, and now uh, from a psychological point of view, um, these things can cause depression, anger, um, and, and people can act out and screw up their approval. You know, I, there's just so much. So we've been looking at it, and we've been thinking about what ways we can assist in, in promoting not only awareness, but uh, action upon that awareness, because being aware is good, but having to do something about it is even better. So we decided to uh, be very uh, simplistic, if I, you know if that's even possible. When you talk about TDCJ or any prison system, uh, of bringing at least out a certain population um, that uh, could possibly, you know, be That they have a higher need in terms of moving out of the prison system due to the fact that they have very, um, they could be compromised because of their age. Uh, So we have decided that asking for 65 and over uh, approved parolees, men and women, to be allowed out as soon as possible. Um, is a good starting point. And, um, and that's what we've been working on. That's uh, every day we figure, you know, what, what's the best way to approach at least the low-lying fruit, you know, of having the elderly come out. Uh, simple, and, of course, due to COVID-19, it, um, it's no longer important just to talk about it, but it's critical uh, to talk, make people aware, and and act and so we I you mean know, I I personally you know am I don't beg so I won't say beg but I I am very concerned about the elderly that are approved for parole and are there stuck or as my 13 year old uh, said two days ago it sounds like they're trapped in their mom and I said it's pretty much like that so through a, not, the eyes of a 13 year old you know the, wow. it's pretty much the way uh, it is you know they're trapped in there. So, yes, I'm very um I'm, I'm excited at the same time. I just feel like a need of urgency. you know, I had this feeling of urgency to get this these folks out. So that's what we started. We started with the elderly, and um, so hopefully we'll have a couple of uh, a couple of references coming up week as to how many elderly are are incarcerated. Um, and it's been very interesting. Uh, uh, Michael and and, and Wolf we'll st- uh, that they, they have not wanting they're not wanting to provide it's been very difficult to get that number and the number I'm I'm asking for is I want the number of approved parolees that are inmates the approved parole uh, that are 65 and over and it's been a very it's been difficult to get that number although you know there's ways to get that number but I think where I think if where we're heading with that is because once that number is out, then you know it may not be as it, you know it may actually start a, a chain reaction of information, and sure. and, and so um, and it's been so we'll see. I mean, this is the next week. Is you know I feel it in my spirit that there will uh, make a lot of not a noise, but I think that will make. Uh, a difference in, in the way uh, people may, may look at the prison system, system especially if we we uh, simplify it to we have these many folks that are elderly uh, under COVID-19 and the conditions thereof, and uh, we wish for them to come out you know, at, at the least, you know, let those approved parolees come out. So that's where we're at with, the, with our interview.
2: Cool, cool. Thank you, Sandra Grace. I wanted to say, when you were talking about, uh, from a psychological standpoint, that these, some of the things these men go through while they're waiting, they, they know they're approved for, for, for parole. They're waiting to be released. They don't know when they're going to get out. You know There's a lot of stress involved, a lot of things. And also during that time, it seems like – you because know, I've been in that position quite a few times, so it, it just seems like everything that could go wrong goes wrong. So, uh, uh, see, you know, inmates are more aggressive. You know, everybody's. It seems like everybody is more aggressive around you. I, I don't know. It's, it's it's a really weird situation. So I can just imagine, and and this is this is without a pandemic going on. So I can just imagine the uh, the uh, conditions uh, that some of these men are having to go through just just for the simple fact that they've made parole. Anyway, uh, so uh, Wolf, I want to. Uh, you know, I know that you have uh, a lot of thoughts on this uh, releasing the approved uh, that are on that have been approved for parole right now, especially during this pandemic. And I would just like to kind of just hear your thoughts on that, sir.
1: Yeah, well, uh, I don't. Uh, not long ago, I posted this uh, interview that some guy did in Houston with John Whitmire, the chairman of the uh, Criminal Justice uh, Committee, and uh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Talking- I believe that was, was Isaiah.
2: I believe it was.
1: Yeah, right. And he was talking about those 11,000 people who got their uh, slip to leave out of prison, but uh, because of COVID-19, not just because of COVID-19, but because of the the way the system's set up where they have people completing programs on the back end of their sentence instead of the front end. Uh, So he's been trying to convince the governor to make, you know, take some action on this. The governor has the authority as does the parole board to open those prison doors and neither the chairman of the parole board or the governor has expressed any willingness to do so and uh, so but like they they always say well parole is not a right it's a privilege but still everyone i know believes that if you if someone tells you you can go home well uh, especially in, if you're in prison they tell you you can go home well get out of there and not right. only keep you know, not only help these guys uh get away from covid hot spots which prisons are you, you know there's no physical distancing in prison uh, the chances you're picking up something in prison are a lot greater than out here uh but they you know they should just uh you know you save lives because fewer people will die because fewer people will get the virus inside. Uh, or they could get it out here if they're not careful, but, uh, they should just be, uh, if you've earned the, you know, essentially if you get parole, the parole board is telling you, we believe you're, you know, you can go home now. And so they should just go ahead and do that. But the obstacles are again, the, uh, a governor and a parole board uh, chairman who do not want to look at this, unlike governors in some other states, uh, even nearby in Oklahoma, where they're letting, letting go. Just last November, they released 450 guys, not because of COVID, but because they were sentenced under laws that uh, today don't have the same penalty. And they let, you know, 450 guys go in one day. Uh, But they uh, apparently are more true to their conservative beliefs. And uh, Oklahoma is a red state just like Texas is. And if you're a conservative, you do believe, or most conservatives I know, believe in grace, mercy, redemption. Uh, But those qualities are not reflected uh, sufficiently, in my mind, in the actions of either the you know the tdc administration the parole board or the governor uh and a lot of you know you not only save lives when you get people out of prison who have been approved for parole you also save taxpayer money and if you're a fiscal conservative uh that's kind of a no-brainer i mean texas has what texas has 103 prisons or something like that they've got a shortage of correctional officers of 5,000. So ordinary programming is interrupted, not just because of COVID-19, but because there's not enough correctional officers to uh, do the jobs that are already defined that they should be doing. Instead, they have officers working overtime, getting burnt out. uh, And why are there 5,000 jobs open in the correctional system in this time of high unemployment? Well, it's low pay, dangerous conditions, overheated prisons. Uh, There's, you know, the possibility of catching the virus. And so it's a a big problem. We don't need the big prison system that we have. And if the prison system were operated according to the way these prisoners wrote in this responsible prison project, uh, they could get more guys out and they would be getting out prepared to reenter society. But then, you know, the Texas government or the legislature has never really seen fit to adequately fund the programs that would help people. It's it's like you said, there are programs inside that are helpful. There are staff inside who want to do a good job, but they have their hands tied by an administration that has not been tasked
3: with actually
1: achieving the mission. Absolutely.
2: I wanted, let's 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 go a little bit further into this, uh, uh, the releasing of those approved. I want to talk about the ITPs now. I know, uh, I believe that's an individual treatment pro, uh, program for prisoners inside of prison uh, that yeah. is set up. It's got all these different programs on it, and if you're if if, you're, if there's a check mark next to your uh, next to one of these programs, well then you you should take it because it, it goes along with your individual treatment plan. So but when it comes down to it, I don't even know if these are even used to uh determine whether a man is approved or not for parole. Uh so because I mean our, our, they're they're so loosely uh, you know worked with. Anyway, go uh yeah, tell me a little bit right. about them, Wolf. Well on on paper uh,
1: it looks good because when you enter prison the first time, uh, you go through a diagnostic assessment that results in an individual treatment plan that is supposed to identify what your needs are and what, and consequently, what you need, what programs you need to do in order to qualify for parole. Uh, but from what you're saying, in your experience, you were not really aware that there even was one. Or if there was one, it wasn't part of your daily life, was it?
2: No. The ITP uh, so, is uh, it's kind of a joke in prison, you know, with us guys. We're like, we're like, why would I, why would I do that stuff when they're not even gonna, you know, they're not even gonna consider. I mean, it's it's it, it's a very uh, guys that guys that don't do their ITPs make parole guys that do their itps make parole what? so it's just not you know there's there's really no rhyme or reason on how it goes and i wish that we could use the itps to determine whether a man has a clear path to parole and uh i know uh sandra grace and you both were uh parole officers or probation officers and i want to ask sandra grace are you familiar with the itp sandra grace and and, and if so you know, what are your thoughts on, on integrating these into, you know, because I believe they're supposed to be a way of gauging whether a man is, you know, rehabilitating or not. So I just want to know if there's any way that we can, like, engage these and actually use them to determine whether a man can be released or not.
4: If I remember correctly, we did not have individual treatment plans at the time that I was a parole officer here in Texas what we did have is the conditions of parole on their parole certificate. And those, uh, you know, those were, were not suggestions. You know, those were shalls. And, you know, like a S H A L. S-H-A-L, they shall complete, you know. Uh, inmate, you know, uh, or offender so-and-so, should, you know, um, shall complete, you know, uh, 20 classes of NAAA, you know, very generic, very broad. Uh, I don't think I've ever ran into a, a parole certificate that didn't say they had to, com- did not complete NAAA, even though there was no evidence that their, even if their offense um, was not drug-related. Uh, they still wow. had to take these classes, which made no sense to me. Uh, because it was based on uh, the inmate being truthful to the institutional parole officer. So the institutional parole officer is the parole officer inside the, the prison system that starts gathering information and goes out and knocks on a door to see if, you know, someone's going to be able to house uh, this future parolee. And so the institutional parole officer will ask a series of questions and, and perhaps even in some of the information, perhaps juvenile record or other information that's in there that has nothing to do with their instant offense, right? Because I always look at the instant offense. Why is this individual on parole? Um, and I would see a pattern of services services being placed on their certificate to be completed without fail even though their instant offense had nothing to do with that. So if someone was being honest, you know, um, when they were being interviewed at some point and said, yeah, you know, when I was 16 I used to smoke pot or, yeah, you know what, I did, you know, one time try Coke or, you know, then I'll just – now they, that, that is enough to put right. them – you know, and and now now they have to complete a program. So, I I think that there's that right where we're what? you know that we're too quick to check off boxes, and I think it's more uh, not because um, of a rehabilitation uh, position. I think it's more of a. Um, Let's see how I can put this very nicely. I think it's more of let's cover our agency, if you will, you know. Let's cover our agency in the event something happens. So uh, you've got, you know, parolee doing X, Y, Z, um, and, you know, you're doing it so that way if anything happens, it's, well, it was there and they were supposed to do it and, you know, that, that kind of thing. But certainly I did see a pattern of instant offenses that were non- related to drug abuse and yet they had to take a series of drug abuse classes which as sure. you know is very difficult to find uh, some nonprofits come and go um, some are not very well it, it, they almost have to default if I remember correctly what? most of my offender uh, uh, caseload and, and you know our offender caseload was supposed to be at 40. And, and I hit 100. I mean, I was double that. And so, wow. you know, I, I remember having 100 offenders on my caseload. And I recall that to send them to programs was a problem. Uh, so a lot of people resorted to faith-based NAAA. Uh, so outreach programs in San Antonio that had faith-based, one, they were free. And. Um, you know, or low, very low cost, like $5 or, you know, that type of thing. Um, So they would, you know, it would actually, unfortunately, it wouldn't really do justice to rehabilitation when we had a parolee that could not, that had to leave work, you know, so at five, traffic to get to the place where they need to be so that they can have their you know, do their class. And, and, and these guys are as clean as a whistle. They have no dirty UAs, you know, they, their instant offense on drug related and they're sitting there yet, you know, but sometimes, and, and that's where I, that's where Sandra, Grace arrived, you know, that's where I arrived. And I said, Hey, wait a minute, this, this is ridiculous. We're not setting these folks to, we're not setting up uh, our, our offenders to, to, to do better, to, to rehabilitate. We're sent, we're setting them up to fail because they're they're getting they're getting to a point a lot of my offenders were always very upset uh, that they had to leave work uh, so that they can go and and check you know that they did you know do or complete these programs and and so those are the you know I, those are the things that I recall and and I remember the the disappointment you know um uh, with offenders that they just did not like that, and, and I don't blame them. I remember getting pretty upset myself um, of, of what, why we're doing this, because I sat in, I, I said, you know, I want to go and sit in some of these NAA meetings. I want to know what's going on, and I sit down, and it was very, I think it was um, I'm a Christian, and, and, and I read the Bible, but I think it's very, some of it was very guilt-driven doctrine uh, in terms of looking at uh, how to address, you know, drug use what? or or any um, type of uh, substance abuse. And so um, I, I would see offenders there and they would, some of them just fall into sleep. I mean, this is like, this is a waste of time. I mean, not all of it, not 100% of it. I'm just saying that my personal observation was that this was a very low, um, this is not an, it, it was just not the, the quality of the program, I don't believe, met the offender's needs or was even immune, you know, to what their instant offense was. So there's a lot of little sure. things like that, a lot of little things like that that, you know, throughout the – that's just one of many, many observations. Yeah. So yeah. yes, you know that's kind of where I'm at. You know, when I if I rem- remember correctly, with these ITPs did not exist, uh, and if they did, I didn't know anything they are about it. Years. All that we needed to do was go by the the certificate, and that's it. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. I wanted
3: to. I wanted to say what. Go ahead. Yeah. Oh I'd no, I'd like I wanted to. Chime
4: uh, in uh, Wolf.
3: Okay.
1: Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead, Wolf. Uh, I'd like to chime in on that because the, to me, the important part is individual uh, what, you know, that, that's a really important factor that too often gets ignored in prison. Like too often, sure. if you go in with a certain kind of offense, you're treated according to that offense, not according to who you are. Uh, just like uh, wow. if you, uh, if you're on parole, there's, consideration of your individual needs as opposed to the fact that, well, you're in this category, so you have to follow these rules. And the lack of individual uh, attention on individual differences is something that really needs to change. But in order to do that, you have to have the right amount of funding and the right amount of vision. And that's something that uh, hopefully will happen in the not too distant future.
4: Right, right. And, about the, the <laughs> I agree. and I think what I see, uh, in, you know, now, I mean, in the here and now, is that if we were to put, um, an, if we were to actually start an outcome-based, you know, type of oversight, uh, if we were to look at it now, I, I think we'd all be very disappointed and taxpayers would be very upset. So, mm-hmm. uh, but I'm I'm an outcome-based individual. Like I need to know. I need to be able to quantify, you know, uh, and qualify whatever it is that's happening. Um, so, I, I think that I have, you know, I've got to go back to something you said earlier, Wolf, about, um, you know, you got these guys going in and uh, they didn't talk, or the the folks at the seminary didn't discuss. The conditioning issue which is a an um and a severe uh very i mean there's it's cruel and unusual punishment in my opinion so that's a whole other amendment so i am thinking of of it in this in in this context and that is An individual period, whether you're imprisoned or not uh, in prison, if you don't have your basic needs met, like you know the quality of your air, the you know the water and food, food also meaning medication. um, To me, at least, that's the way I would see it, like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So to have you know air, water, food, medication. So you gotta have if in we don't have those needs, even as we, as we speak now, there are people that are unemployed and, you know, they're about to get evicted and things like that. So, so, you know, the, you know, the, there's, therein lies a a problem because if we don't have our basic needs met, so if we don't have air, water, food, shelter, and the the feeling of, 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 uh, of being safe, then we can't, graduate mentally and invest our, our mental faculties into uh, being a higher level of self. Because we're not even, we're thinking of survival. It's primitive. And so as evidenced by Georgia, the state of Georgia, and, you know, uh, what happened here just, you know, in the last 24 hours, you know, we, we have prisoners that um, are now acting out. You know, they're angry. Uh, they're angry. And, and anger is not um, an ungodly thing. Jesus Christ got, was angry when he went into the temple and saw that the temple was being used as a flea market. So anger is an emotion. But what is anger primarily? One is because you're not getting what you want or two you're being told to do something you don't want to do and I think it applies, those two things apply to you know to the prisoners and I'll say specifically in Georgia who quote unquote acted out in violence against correctional officers and people you know and as a, as a result you know there was a hard, a lockdown because there was what you know a quasi riot and so and that's, and I see that that, you know, that is a, a warning. I, I hope that that becomes a warning to our, current, our governor because it's going to happen in Texas. It's just not matter of time because when they don't have our, you know, when basic needs are not being met, people are going to act out. Now, I always say, you know, you get angry because, one, you don't get what you want, to, you you're being used to two, something you don't want to do. But the third one, there's always three, so the third one is it can be an underlying mental health issue. And so if you have an underlying mental health issue, and on top of that, you're not getting fed, you, don't, you know, you're not getting the water that you need, you know, the air quality. And so you're just on survival. You're going to act out. And so I'm not, I'm not at all surprised <laughs> about, you know, the state of Georgia and, you know, that hard lockdown. Uh, so, and I anticipate that type of behavior is going to be seen in Texas. So, therefore, I believe that it's even more imperative at this time. You know, to take a good look at, you know, who we can release. And if nothing else, from the Christian standpoint, release the elderly. You know, release the elderly who, and from a fiscal conservative point of view, would be wise. Why? Because it takes about $70,000 to provide, as opposed to $22,000 a year, uh, an inmate in Texas, to house an inmate in Texas, 22, roughly. It's about seventy thousand for someone that has medical condition or that is, you know, elderly. So, if not, you know, those that are medically compromised, most definitely the elderly that do have underlying issues. Just, you know, by default, you know, as as they become, you know, as they age. So that, you know, that is uh, something that, you know, when you brought up the the air conditioning and the needs, and I don't, you know, and we'll feel. You know, you, you're of the, of the profession as well, and you know, those needs are not met. It's so difficult to have an individual engage in higher self um, if, if you haven't, if you are not, if you're hungry, if you're thirsty. You yeah. No, so, my, my fight, my personal fight has always been so my mission in life, my personal mission is I, I fight for human rights, basic human rights and needs. And and that's why you know I'm in tra- I'm, I'm in the trenches um, with this the situation we have, which is critical at this point. Yeah,
1: well, I think Absolutely. I think your focus on those basic human needs is really important, and one that uh, is especially important given the situation today is these, the need for social connection, for family connection, and as we all know, for the last four months there's been no visitation and that's been one of the high points for any person inside and their family outside to get together and share uh, a period of time together and now with no visitation and many phone calls restricted to five minutes or 30 minutes or whatever, the possibility for social nourish- nourishment is its not sufficient to meet the need the the social emotional needs of either the prisoners or their families. And, uh, that is something that could be changed, but again, uh, sure. I don't see a lot of, I don't see a lot of creativity on the part of administration to deal with those really important social needs, you know? Uh,
2: yeah. Well, I, well, if I want to yeah. say that, you know, that, even before the pandemic, I mean, you know, two hours a week and, you know, phone calls daily is still not, uh, you know, if you have children and you know you have a wife and, you know, you have these different things out here. I I, I mean, I, I mean, I lost uh, my wife and son due to, you know, my, my mistakes, uh, without a doubt, but, uh, you know, I didn't get any help along the way to try to hold it together, you know, uh, and it's it's it, it's sad because these you know, these children and these wives are, you know, having to deal with all these different things and then the convict does not get paid. Let me, let me just uh uh I wanted to go back to something that you said before, uh, or, or that you brought up, uh, Wolf. You you brought up the uh the Senator uh Whitmire, John Whitmire uh interview with Isaiah. I wanted to uh when I watched it, uh, I noticed that he said that the 11,000 or so men and women that are uh, waiting to be released uh, are, are all waiting on programs. So that kind of struck me as, you know, I'm like, all of them? Every one of them is waiting on a program. And I was like, there's, there's I mean, because men, and, men, men go out every day, even before uh, COVID, uh, went out every day without going through programs I mean it all depends on, on, on What situation they're in or how long They've been in if they've been grandfathered in through These programs or whatever and you don't Necessarily have to take them kind of like in my Situation but You know so so I don't know I, I, I Believe that some of these men are just ready To go and, and, and they're Just being held up because of you know Our, our current climate Out here with the pandemic but I'm sorry to get us off track, but I just wanted to. No, I think you know, that's I, essential
4: that you say that. I, I really, I no, really, Michael, I'm glad that you did mention that because uh, you're right. I mean, that's ludicrous, you know, that every single 11,000, you know, because that just really, pro- it, it solidifies, you know, what we've just, you know, said in the last hour is that this is a very disjointed effort in providing uh, the appropriate programs for, for prisoners to rehabilitate. So, yes, um, you know, that that is almost verifying that the system is broken. And, you know, the rehabilitation part of the mission statement, and I'm glad that y'all brought that up at first because mission statements to me are big. Uh, I remember meeting you, Michael. I'm like, what's your mission statement? <laughs> uh, yeah. We got to know you. And you're like I, I don't know, and then you did actually figure. You know, you you sent me something. I'm like, okay, this guy's got vision. So, but I really like mission statements, and yes, you know, positive offender change. However, the very first thing that uh, that it says in the mission is that you know public safety. So the narrative, in my opinion, is that they're going, they're using that as the shield. So you know, we're letting you know. The the narrative of is it a public is it publicly safe to allow a, approved parolees out and so and then I think the narrative is being controlled prior to 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 the all this um and I'm very you know very aware now how many families are out uh outspoken and and wanting to to continue this movement uh, of reform. I just want uh, I'm thrilled to be a part of that wave uh, and I just look at the the situation from the, this lens of you know what is is going to happen you know in the future um, is this and I, and I think what's happening is that we are we are we have a level of influence in a in power of numbers to provide another narrative. A narrative that, that we've all known has existed for, well, at least for me, two decades because you know I started this off 20 years ago working for TDCJ in the Senate. So uh, this has been problematic. And so to create that narrative and to have people from the inside, from the inside, so what and so I guess this is the the excuse, not a justification, but the, the excuse of not having people talk to the loved ones so they can have that social connection, which Wolf is absolutely right. I mean, we need to have that social connection. But once they do have that connection or that contact, um, it's bittersweet because the truth is being told about the conditions inside. And so it's a double-edged sword for TDCJ. The narrative, be, you know, only gets confirmed that so we've got a big problem.
2: Absolutely. Well, uh, we're, we're fixing to go into a break. I don't know if you wanted to laugh or, or speak on that at all. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, but if you wanted to say anything in last, and we're going to come back with, uh, you know, we'll come back with the rest of the uh, program where we'll talk about, uh, you know, the different visitation uh You know, all the different things on second look, independent oversight, excessive sentencing, disparity in sentencing, and the different things. But uh, would you like to say anything before we go on a break, Wolf? Sure, sure. Uh, uh, Going back to the subject of uh, all these guys
1: and women, too, who have been approved for parole but they need to take programs, it's really clear that they could take these programs in the community. They don't need to wait for – you know, uh, COVID-19 to go away, so programs open up again. They can just, be, they could be released with the condition that they complete these programs in the community. Uh, it's a lot more effective. And uh, besides, some of the programs, like like these guys in the Responsible Prison Project say, they say some of the programs, like Changes, which you know the TDC likes to promote, that well, that's these guys say it's not a very good program and well, that's right. it's, of- it's
2: it's extremely it's extremely outdated, Wolf. it's probably 20 30 years old, it's the same curriculum uh you know but you, you're absolutely right they could definitely you know and 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 these programs that they're talking about I mean they're not they're not changing the game or nothing with them. I mean people, the recidivism rate is still extremely high so it's not like they're being effective uh uh so
4: I don't know. I just outcomes, don't
2: understand your
4: yeah, uh, outcomes, gentlemen. That's my point. Outcomes, you know, that is a perfect example. So recidivism is pretty high. It's not so high in your elderly, it's about 2% or less, even in the federal system. So, yes. But, yeah, I'm, uh, yeah. let's come back and talk about this, Michael, because I have a lady that she's talking about conjugal visits. So, let's, let's, let's talk about visitation. <laughs>
2: Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. Good. Okay. Well, so we're going to go ahead and take a take a break. Uh, Wolf, uh, Sandra, Grace, thank you all. for. Uh, if you all would just hold on, we'll be back in just a few minutes, and we'll continue our conversation on these different issues. Thank you so much. That sounds good. Uh, Christopher, could you okay. please take us You're here listening to Cell Life
0: with Michael Savalos right now on TPV Radio.
3: Mm-hmm. I can't take the glory, this came straight from God. Mm. I just made a play like OBJ, so really this one here gon' make the top 10. Just a moment I've been waiting for, so made a memory never be forgotten. Unlike the game on the locksmith, we breaking out this colossus. I feel like this is my time, there's a need for me to shine, I promise. Still on the court after midnight, putting up shot and shot, working my wrist. I can't over time, this ain't happen overnight Hard work and discipline Did my time, why the green mile? Now ball at like the gym, way a butter rim Shoot the space, I'm ascending Now drop the beat, let's make history I got the power I got the power I got the, I got the I got the power with me The to I got the, I got the, I got the power with me. This ain't fake dog, this is fake dog. hmm Had no green back. this ain't Drake
0: Mons. Mm-hmm. Had no face dog, had no case dog. Mm-hmm. Smile when I take my law, cause they couldn't take my car. Ooh, yeah, yeah, I know that. Yeah, I got the keys, die for the dream. Like a star a Venom on his door cap. Yeah. Bone if a teeth if I'm bone if a team, in my song, i am repeat, let them know that. Feel it when your skin on cold that. Yeah. You to make it. You that will taste. Oh, to feed. that will make you,
3: make you believe. For the sake of the king. The of the king. Only say that I need you on the other side of the pain. Even if the champion, uh, tell me what say. I can't. I'll come. Income won't change my outcome. Champ, don't stop when the road get tough. Champ, only stop when the work get done. I got the power. This is AR Base. Keep it locked right here on TPV
0: Radio. Radio. You're You're here listening listening to Cell Life life with with Michael Michael Savalos right now now. on TPV Radio.
2: Okay, everybody, this is Michael Savalos with Cell Life. We are back in the studio with Sandra Grace Martinez and Wolf Fitler. We really, uh, we're going over some some issues with the. Responsible prison project, and we're just uh, we're just kind of dissecting the uh, mission statement. And we're currently on, uh, you know, if y'all just want to continue to go over, I don't know whose phone that is ringing, but uh, we need to go over the. Uh, oh, okay, we were talking about reentry, uh, Wolf. We were talking about visitation, phone calls, mm-hmm. uh, the food, mm-hmm. but I do want to uh, kind of tackle the reentry issue, and uh, you know, of course, we can get into the visitation, phone calls. But I just want to kind of get your thoughts on the reentry process that that uh, is currently in place for TDCJ where they get $100 and men get $100 no matter if you've been locked up 40 years. You get $100 when you're released, and you know the clothes on your back and a ticket back to your uh, county where you committed your crime. So I just want to uh, – I just believe we're setting them up for failure from the very start, and I just want to kind of get your thoughts on that
1: yeah well they uh as these guys in this responsible prison project say uh reentry should begin when you enter uh, as soon as you get into the prison, you should start being prepared for getting out since ninety five percent of the people that get sent there will get out uh that's how in an ideal system it would work um, because uh and it makes it's a lot more efficient too. If you, when you get into prison, you're told, according to the way it's supposed to be, what you need to do in order to qualify for parole. And uh, so, if the programming were arranged so that you would prepare, be prepared to get released when your parole time came, you would have you wouldn't have any money, like you say, uh, but you would have the. Intellectual skills, some vocational skills, hopefully some emotional health, so you could re-enter society with a better chance of uh, being successful. But uh, unless all those things are cultivated when you're inside, uh, re-entry is going to be a problem. Uh, and like you said before, a lot of times the uh, the parole supervision. Is not helpful, it's more of a obstacle to success, but that's because uh, uh, usually there's parole like just like the prisons has never been adequately funded to have the resources that are needed by people that are getting out of prison. So uh, yeah, everything we, should be geared everything everything should be geared to be to get out of prison.
0: Right,
2: yeah, that no, should be. We, we should be absolutely. concentrating on that.
4: Absolutely spot on, uh, because reentry does start at the beginning. Reentry does start when you enter the system. I absolutely, I mean, that's one hundred percent correct. I just, you know, sometimes, you know, there are uh, unfortunate events that people end up in prison that are not guilty of the crime. So being intentional about, you know, reentry. Uh, it becomes a problem because they have to accept something that they didn't do. And so I'm just, you know, wanted to throw that out there because not everybody in prison is is guilty of the crime or they pled guilty to something, you know, because of X, Y, Z, it would have been, you know, they were, uh, they pled guilty uh, as a result of being uh, not bullied, but you know, told that otherwise, you know, they would have get longer sentences, stricter uh, penalties, and so on and so forth. But the assumption is that when you enter the prison system, is uh, you are guilty without a, you know, you know, beyond a reasonable doubt. That's the the understanding. It's not always the case.
2: Sure, you know, one of the reasons uh, why. Uh, I started this this, uh, experiment was because I was scared of what was coming towards me when I was being released. You know, I didn't really... uh, I wasn't ready. I I wasn't... I'm not going to say I wasn't ready mentally or... I don't know. I, I just knew that I wanted a slower transition. You know, because I knew there were some things I did not work on. There were tons of things I didn't work on. So... I just didn't want to take the chance of not uh, working on them and not giving myself the best best chance to succeed. But the reason I say that is because <clears> – <throat> excuse me. Uh, I don't know. It's just some of these men uh, that, are, that are behind bars right now, we, we have to get to them and let them know that they're going to have to take their own uh, initiative and just… You know until we get these things fixed, these men have to you know get on their grind, they have to take charge of their life right now, where they are right now today and and I just cannot stress that enough I mean we can't totally depend on well we know that we cannot depend on t d c j uh, uh for those things, so we have to take you know matters into our own hands and uh you know, I just want to say that because I don't want to. Uh, you know, anything good is going to come with a lot of hard work, and I just want to, you know, I want them to know that it's going to take hard work to succeed. But anyway,
4: yep. And, and, yep. you know, I, I often thought, you know, as a parole officer, you know, I knew I knew that I was participating, and that's why I left and decided to go into mental health, is because I knew that I was a, a participant in setting them up to fail because there were programs they had to take that were, you know that were bizarre and, and not, you know, relative uh, uh, to their um, instant offense. But most importantly, there's a lot of, um, let's see, uh, there was a lot of offenders who were, you know, they didn't, and I say don't, they don't think like us. They're undereducated. They're underemployed. They're, they're both. You know, some of them may just be borderline mentally retarded. You know, just right there, their IQ may just be right at that line. And so for us to, you know, to have, as a parole officer, I, I'm saying, at the time, you know, for me to expect them to do all these things and to take personal responsibility. To take personal responsibility for their own outcomes, if that's the challenge. So I think the best the best place to get those outcomes and the best place to, um, you know, push that agenda is, you know, within the prison where they have, or, or, I mean, because they have plenty of time, you know, there to to work through those issues and or understand um, how, or parole officers need to be social workers. They have to have some sort of background in that because I remember being uh, told uh, so many. I mean, there's just almost. I could write a book on it, and maybe they should, because you know the the bottom line is, you know, there was a lot of instances where I saw parolees, uh, you know, feel like I'd rather just go back. I'd rather just go back. I'm done. I can't do this anymore. You know, they come out and they already have a warrant for their arrest because they're behind my cell support, so they go back to the county. And then you know' just uh ridiculous it's, it's stuff that's ridiculous and so yeah, you know I'm thinking as the the program you know for us to to ask of them to take personal responsibility, i mean that would be ideal realistically because of the population. I don't know if they would know how to do that that agenda would probably be best uh you know if served inside the prison system with the appropriate uh you know, with the appropriate personnel, um, but there are some very, very smart uh, parolees as well. You know, they're um, that want to do better, do be better, uh, and and they're trying their best. And even then, you know, they they want to throw in the towel um, at times. I remember those days, and the parole officers were the ones that I worked with here. I'm not saying they were all bad, but I would say a a very good amount, like the majority, let's just say 50 plus one, okay, so 51%, um, I must say, were about taking down the parolee and, and taking the parolee to where they had a blue warrant um, or, you know, or working together with the Texas Department of um, Child Support, you know, to get them behind bars. And, and I, it was just so counterintuitive. And, and so I just remember, and that still happens today. There's nothing, nothing changed. You know, yeah. so I think all officers need to. That ideally, need to have a background in social work.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd like to read a, a short paragraph from this rec- that focuses on uh, the importance of preparation for release. And uh, this, is, this is the paragraph: the necessity of interpersonal development, especially concerning familial relationships means t d c j should foster this for reentry purposes. this relates mm-hmm. to spiritual and emotional growth and development relationships building them and maintaining them are an important aspect of emotional growth and maturity, and they should be fostered and mm-hmm. they're they're not as much as they could be if the system was designed to achieve those objectives that we've already talked about uh so you know Basically, we're not we're not asking for the uh, system to do anything more than what they already said they're supposed to be doing, which is promoting positive behavior, helping reentry, uh, protecting public safety. All that comes by uh, helping the people inside uh, grow and mature into the people that they can become, given the right conditions. Sure,
2: I want to. I want to just uh, throw an idea out there because of the uh you know uh my experience in 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 prison uh was or or just things that I witnessed as far as the the help that they allow the let's say the uh outside people that come in the different ministries that come in and uh minister to these to these men in prison uh it's a great thing but not everybody has reached through that okay and this is this. As a matter of fact, very few are reached through that. So not, I'm not going to say very few, but not not the majority. Uh, and and so I think that there needs to be some type of unconventional ministry. Of course, that's the business that we're in, and uh, and something that you know that, that that doesn't associate. You know that doesn't have to be a chosen side. Where they could just feel free to come and participate and learn, because not everybody, you know, sees things the same, but they do want to, you know, participate, but they just don't feel comfortable. So I believe that we need to come up with some programs inside the system that aren't necessarily, uh, uh, you know, I, I know this is a Christian radio station and I am a Christian, but I'm, I mean, we need to reach these men in order for, in, in order so that we can uh, speak truth into their lives. So I just believe that we need to uh, think about some other programs to uh, bring these men in. So anyway, just just as a thought, a suggestion.
1: Yeah, no, that that makes sense, and that uh, emphasizes the point that it's really important to you know. It's easy to complain about all of the problems and conditions and stuff like that. It's quite another thing to propose actual programming changes that will help. Uh, The folks inside, so that when they get out, they'll be ready for to rejoin society.
2: And it's not that the people don't want to go in. People that are, you know, uh, not necessarily in the ministry, that have things that they could that uh, prisoners could use: skills, uh, job sets, uh, you know, mindsets, uh, life coach type stuff. I I don't know. It just doesn't. uh, I just believe that we can reach. People in different ways, and and well, w- what the deal is with TDCJ is they only allow ministries in, so uh, it's it's limited. So we're, you know we're going to have to change the culture, and or they can allow you know business people in to teach business classes and music and I don't know different things to broaden these men's mind, so that they can begin to you know learn something new.
1: Mm-hmm. But no, and that that's all about promoting positive behavior change. Uh, But in order to really focus on that, that does have to become the mission instead of just a a set of nice words. Sure.
4: And I think where the incongruency or the, not but disjointedness comes in because there's a lot of different mission statements that TDC has. So, you know, you've got TDC, the board members um, or the, the Texas Board of Pardons and Paroles—they have one mission statement—and then you've got Texas Department of Criminal Justice Board, and they have another mission statement. And you know that, you know, and again, I'm, I always look at these mission statements. Like, what is it that they're really, you know, what, you know, is the outcome been such that it's uh, congruent with their mission statement? And the the, the response is no, most of the time it's know every day so I, I agree that you know I think nonprofits are out there that can teach people on, on finances uh, there's a lot of interns you know in mental health uh, that need hours that need hours to get their license in Texas Some up 3,000 hours of face-to-face or group individual uh, there and that's free work and you know interns sometimes work for free and so that's part of it and it's a symbiotic relationship where they get their hours that they need uh, and uh, provide a service, you know, emotional health or mental health and, and symbiotic where the, the prisoner gets, you know, inmate gets what they need. And, you know, the the intern or intern associate gets what they need in terms of uh, hours towards their licensure. There's ways that we can promote and I think that that's probably why I get a nerve when I look at the resumes of some of the board members because they're not, they're usually lawyers, they're retired judges. Uh, I mean, they they don't come from a mental. Most of them are not, you know, they're not from seeing things like we are at Wolf, and not, you know, we're not. Uh, that lens isn't there. Um, that's and that's and these board members are selected by the governor. And my hope is that in the future, we are able to have board members when their terms expire because there's an expiration date. When they expire, they that uh, can uh, be uh, that that position can be uh, um, open to someone with mental health or social work background. I think if we would see a different tapestry. I think we need to see a different tapestry in terms of who sits on the board because it does make a difference.
1: yeah no you're you're exactly right about that. In that uh, the, the board members reflect the political views of the governor. And Correct. if the governor does not have a uh, kind of a rehabilitation orientation regarding prisons, uh, he's going to, he's not going to appoint people like that. So basically it seems like, you know, we need to have a new governor since the one we have now is not promoting uh, those types of things.
4: I agree, I agree. So, um, so I had a question uh, on my feed. Michael and I I didn't even know what to say, but it talked about um, conjugal visits. I didn't even know that they did those. Is that true?
2: They they do not do conjugal visits in Texas. I'm not sure if they do them anymore uh, anywhere in the in the United States. Uh, I know they did it one time in federal and even in state at one point, but no, we don't have conjugal visits here in Texas.
4: That's what I thought. Uh, I'm like I didn't do nothing.
2: No, maybe I would have stayed married if they did. No, we do not have conjugal visits.
4: I uh, think what they, this individual was saying is like, "Hey, you know, to meet that uh, the social needs and kind of, you know, um to to uh settle them down, you know, inmates would benefit from sex, you know." <laughs> was, sure.
2: Absolutely. I guess that's where we're
4: dealing with that.
2: Absolutely. Well, just yeah. just from human touch, period.
1: Yeah. Well, the the authors of uh, the Responsible Prison Project do address that. They recommend that all you know conjugal visits. Although they they say quite clearly they don't expect just in in, even if there were conjugal visits, they recommend that the number of visits increase or that the time increases. Like right now, every inmate is eligible for two hours a week. And all the evidence shows that maintaining positive family relationships is a big factor in being successful when you get out, and punishment uh, is basically uh, being locked up. Punishment should not include you know destroying or harming your family relationships, which this the limitations of visitation actually do like if you have if you have a kid. Uh, who visits you in prison? He needs to sit at the at the table. You cannot throw a ball. you cannot uh, play games. He does get paper and crayons, but that's about it there's nothing really normal about the visitation and,
2: uh, and I want to to tell visit- you something about i want to tell you something about the colors and that's fairly new that i, I mean when I was uh, married when my son he 's twenty one now when he was i don 't know four and five years old they didn 't have any books any coloring nothing in visitation. They had a bible and mm-hmm. so uh where I was at, I was on the pack one unit at that time my wife uh at that time i 'm divorced now but she 's a wonderful woman uh she uh, she made it her life mission to get books and colors and all kinds of stuff inside our visitation room. And so that took her about six months, but she bought a shelf, and they allowed her to bring all the books and everything, and she set that up. But that was the first time on our unit where we were at that they had that. And I guess that was in the 90s, you know, 90, 98 maybe, 97. So not not too long ago, uh, they didn't what? have that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then, uh, well, another thing that
1: these guys recommend uh, is like when I visit uh, a friend that I have in, in prison, uh, the first time I went there, I, my visit was a non contact visit. Usually you can only get a contact visit if you're a family member. So instead of that, I'm sitting in this room with, uh, you know, concrete walls, plastic shield between the visitors and, uh, and the prisoners and you're trying to hear a conversation uh with all this noise going on and if you have a kid your kid is just you know can be there with his hands up against the plastic and that's not how you deal with yeah. children uh there you know there obviously is a better way but again the focus is more on security and control instead of rehabilitation and human development
3: wow
4: so and I Michael, um you know you were a member. we had talked about this with a group of women panel uh, on your show not too long ago about how important it is to understand that successful completion of parole is actually uh, part of the family being involved uh, and um, understanding that uh, what they're about that the, the understanding is that when the inmate is incarcerated, it's a shared experience because the, the, and not literally, but I'm just saying that the emotions and, you know, the kiddos' behaviors um, change when their say mother or father are incarcerated. Um, and so it's a shared, it's got the secondary or second order effect. Um, and so incarceration in a family involves and affects all family members of that loved one. And mm-hmm. the, I'm pro-healing. I'm pro-healing any wounds that um, that have occurred before incarceration or because of it prior to reentry. Because that will have an effect on the outcome of that person's role, and this is the assumption that there is a family sometimes parolees do not have a family at all to go to, and that
2: that's a very uh i want to tell you I'm glad you brought that up, Sandra Grace, because I am currently uh you know I'm going through uh the very you know I'm navigating the you know being a father and and I mean, my son's 21 years old, so he's really not trying to hear me being a father. But uh, you know, it, it it is difficult. It is difficult, and and I'm I'm not sure, to be honest with you, if I wasn't doing what I'm doing right now and in cell, I don't know how I would have handled you know the situations that have come up in the last couple of months. Uh, but I'm just grateful that uh, you know I have a, a strong network of people that you know. Uh, you know that help and support me and uh, mentor me and but yeah, not everybody has that and it's it, it is very difficult for these men uh to get out and try to uh wear all these different hats and not have any of the skills and not have been taught any of the skills that it's going to take to perform these different roles yeah, just, no, that, uh, that,
1: that that's an interesting point because you know prisons in Europe, for example. Are designed with a, a least restrictive uh, attitude in mind. That means that uh, the prison, the more the closer the prison experience is to life in the outside world, the easier it's going to be for those people that get out to adjust. Uh, right now, there's very little comparison with the outside world in terms of what the prison experience is actually like.
4: Well, I'm hoping that coming up with this legislature, you know, unfortunately, Texas legislature, they meet every two years, and, um, you know, I don't know what that mosaic is going to look like once they start putting or attempting to put bills in and what kind of bills are going to be on the hopper, Um, but my hope is that there are several regarding reform, and and some of these ideas, these great ideas, um, include, you know, include you know, emotional restitution um, towards our, you know, family members, you know, while the – that's part of it, in my opinion. You know, there's there's financial restitution that, you know, parolees have to pay um, out of uh, – as part of the conditions of parole. But I think higher level uh, – for me, as just from the lens of a therapist to have, you know, um, to pay emotional restitution – but to, not to the victim. All of that, I mean, that would be appropriate, absolutely, uh, if the victim wished it, and or what have you. If there was a, if it's a victimless crime, such as a drug crime, um, drug-related, often um, the the emotional restitution has got to get paid. It's got to get paid in advance before, you know, towards the family that you know, the kiddos that were affected, and, you know, because of incarcerated loved ones. And I think emotional restitution, paying it and paying it right, um, you know, to ask for forgiveness and, and things like that, I think uh, the trajectory of that parolee um, is, and you know, goes on the right path. So yeah. you just do that. Well, thing, that, yeah.
1: that, that, that introduces the subject of restorative justice, which is basically mm-hmm. – Victims, not only victim-centered, to heal the victims, but to heal the the perpetrator and to look at the conditions which created the problem in the first place. Right. Uh, but that does require, again, a change in philosophy about what prisons are for. You know, are they for punishment or are they for rehabilitation? And in Texas, I don't think uh, that the philosophy of being pro-rehabilitation is not entrenched as much as it will be as a result of people uh, promoting positive changes that need to happen.
4: Mm -hmm. And so I, you know, and that's why, you know, I I'm in the trenches at this very moment as it pertains to COVID as well, COVID-19 and for the prison system, because allowing not, pardon, allowing or impeding parolees that have been approved, you know, to come out uh, into our society is to me cruel and unusual. And then, I, To me, it's more of a, constitu- a constitutional issue, just like you brought up 13th Amendment, I think, of the 8th Amendment, and um, you know, that this there's a reason. You know, there's a reason why we have a Constitution, and I know that it's been on fire the last couple of months. I know that, uh, you know, our amend- First Amendment rights are on, you know, sometimes i feel like it's somebody try it's trying uh, you know it's some administrations trying to erase some of it but you know there there's a reason why not, um, the first amendment is so important like what we're doing right now you know we're we're making we're we're hoping that people become more knowledgeable at, at the end of this podcast and and, uh, and act or be proactive and um but it is also a constitution we do and restorative justice, I'm so glad you brought that up folks, because I do believe in that. I think that that is um you know a good framework uh for Texas, especially because the rehabilitation part definitely is incongruent um with with the mission statement
3: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Let's, yep. uh, uh let's 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 go into a little bit about. I know a big deal uh currently with a lot of the family members and i and, and I get it uh, I'm no longer in prison, so it's not as uh important to me at the moment uh but is the phone calls now I know that have there have been some changes in the last few days on phone calls, but uh I want to kind of get y'all's thoughts on there on 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 the phones and and do we actually need to be fighting for the phones or do y'all believe that Securus and CenturyLink uh, will do the fighting for us on that end? And I just want to get y'all's thoughts on that.
1: Well, the the phone calls fall into that social uh, growth and importance issue. And they they are so important, especially since there's no visitation. And I like the idea that uh, Michelle Deitch, who was a lecturer at the LBJ School of, uh, at uh, UT and also at law school suggested back in March. Uh, she referenced a program in England where they were giving phones or providing phones for the inmates. They could have their own phones with only the numbers that were approved on their list. And there's no internet yeah. access or anything like that. And so, what a simple way to solve this problem. Just make phones available. To the guys with restricted numbers, and uh, you know, call when you have you know when you want, and uh, maintain the commun- communication that way. There are actually jails in this country that permit that right now. Uh, so I think uh, I again, think that's a great idea. Want- I love that. Yeah, they're they're just but that requires a, a, a level of vision and creativity that is so far not real strong, uh, but hopefully that
2: will develop as days pass here. I mean, even if we took the, 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 the current system that's in place, six cents a minute or whatever, and allowed everybody, instead of everybody having to register and the families having to go through all this stuff, just like you said, have some approved numbers on there you know because not everybody gets to use a phone even if you have money if you, if no one sets up your phone system from the outside you will not get a phone call so mm-hmm. uh you know it's a uh i don't know uh because i don't know if uh you know i hear a lot of uh issues with the phones on a lot of these uh different group pages and and uh stuff like that and i'm just i don't know I guess I don't know enough about them to really speak on it, but I believe that uh, you know we have some pretty good lobbyists. I don't know if we're even talking to the right people about the phones. You know, maybe we need to be talking to Securus and CenturyLink instead of TDC well, lobbying them. I don't know.
3: Yeah.
1: Well, uh, phone companies have long been uh, looking at uh, prison phones as a source of uh, private profit and um i don't support that at all just like i don't support private prisons but sure uh, i don't i don't think they're really the ones to talk to uh, it's mostly the the administration uh you know catching up with the real world here and making maximizing the opportunities for prisoners to communicate with their families
2: and all and their friends sure i was uh, I you know i'm 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 just looking at, at 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 the uh changes and uh how to best address them i don't know tdc is a very uh you know it's a very touchy uh monster you know but uh <laughs> yeah i agree with you i agree with you i don't want to uh 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 exploit uh the families of prisoners either but you know i believe that you know we can maybe uh tweak some of the systems that are in place now and maybe in the future, you know, call for major changes. But uh I don't know. Just some thoughts.
4: I think it's a great you know, I think I just brought up a great point. You know, this let's all agree that the systems infrastructure is antiquated. You know, they they're falling apart. You know, from sure. As evidenced by the board meeting that happened um, not too long ago, they, they're they changing from cobalt to another, uh, a more up-to-date cloud system, which is going to be a pain in the ass uh, for them. But, you know, it's just part of, of getting away from that antiquated, you know, status. And uh, not only that, but to manage cobalt, uh, I found, and, and this is not – you know, this is what TDCJ board members mentioned uh, that it takes four hundred and fifty thousand dollars a month just to keep up with the uh, the program. To um, you know, it. for the company to, to yes, yeah, yeah, for the company to update it to you know the upkeep that's monthly four. I mean, yeah. that's half a million dollars. Half a million dollars to you know. Just stroke the system, if you will. And uh, that's just cobalt. So, you know, there's money there. And again, you know, but they, you know, they have TDC where they want them because they can charge anything they want. They can't just fire cobalt. You know, I mean, that's not, not cobalt, but the system can't just be eliminated. They have to have something to replace it with, and that's what they want to do. So hopefully that'll that'll free up some, Monies, of course, I'm thinking fiscally, well, great, I would be fiscally responsible. Why did it take all these years and why are we paying that much money a month, you know, just to maintain that? And, you know, who's been profiting from that, you know, and as a result, you know, we don't have the, you know, the reentry programs, you know, or are there monies that are, you know, being taken for us? So um, my hope is going to be used towards cobalt, you know, can be, even if it's just a small percentage, you know, to be used. For reentry programs or air conditioning. I don't know. For now, I mm-hmm. vote air conditioning, you know, because uh, we're in the heat and COVID, and I would vote that even if I, if I was able to, and make, if I were, you know, a genie and make it happen, I would do that. But you know, for now, I'm just mm-hmm. more concerned about the elderly coming out, um, and not, and not in body bags. I'm concerned about yep. you know, that coming out, and um, I'm pro them coming out. And I hope that the governor releases them very soon. You know, I I have a mission. My my mission is to have the elderly out by the that are approved for parole by the twenty second of August. And that's just me. Um, that's my fight right now. And so um but yeah. I'm with the, you go ahead.
2: I'm with you, Sandy Grace.
4: I know. We're trying so hard and you know, privatize um it's never the thing. I hear the word privatized in prisons, and I just cringe because I, cringe I know. So, but as far as the 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 communications concern, you know, you know, uh, Wolf and, and I, you know, we agree that it's important. It's a necessity, uh, you know, in this hierarchy of needs, you know, to have the, that social uh, connection. It's part of the healing process. It's part of you know the not acting out. You know, also incentive and whatnot. So. Um, but they ha- they do have those two hours, and they didn't have it. So now, I mean, Wolf, I don't know if you kn- knew this, and, you know, uh, we had brought this up on our Facebook live feed that, you know, uh, TDCJ just recently spoke to uh, a number of, uh, of advocates, you know, on a, a line. There It was a conference call, and they were – happy to announce that oh yes we are you know people are getting their phone calls now we're, we're trying to get it to where maybe it's not going to be 24 7 so they can catch up you know like the minutes that they've been that that lost you know the hours or moments they've lost um but they're trying their best so I can see the administration's trying but then what got me and I thought this was really comical and, and in, a, in a very sad way like a really bad well not, actually like a really funny Saturday night live gig where where the question was asked um, by the non TDC uh, individual to TDCJ about if they had a protocol on sanitizing the phone. And the, the response was, no, we, we, we don't. <laughs> it's time that protocol. And so, and I just uh, I thought to myself, if we don't even have a protocol for that, you know, we're in trouble. there's a lot Mm -hmm. more and uh Mm -hmm. you know and i I thought cdc guidelines would dictate you know what would be appropriate i mean definitely not spraying bleach into the receiver uh, and that type of stuff but they didn't even have the, the response was no we do not have a protocol at this time it's going to depend on the wardens and and their the administration and how they want to handle that but at this time we do not know whether even the question of can they take their mask off and talk into the phone because they're being, you know, deemed the prisoner, the inmate, for taking off their mask because they were until they have to wear it all the time. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. and they were saying we don't want them to get in trouble because they take off their mask. So, are they going to be able to take off their mask? and? They are like, well, we don't know. We haven't thought about that, um, but we'll get back to you. And I guess that's where I, I start thinking, like, these, these are just common sense. Well, no, okay, just wear it then. Wear it. You can talk perfectly fine. You know? But just I, I use my, at that point, the left side of my brain lights up, and I'm thinking logically, come on. You know, this is, this, can we end this particular conference call with, an, you know, an agreement that this is what we're going to adhere to by default? CDC guidelines, you know, as to the lead, but no, we couldn't do that, you know. Not me. I wasn't part of it. I heard this. Uh, um, it's a public meeting, so they, they put it on my uh, Facebook, and so I was able to listen from from beginning to end. And I realized, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, but um, we can't have that. We don't have that protocol. <sighs> there's other those other um, overarching issues that we should. You know, that we should be pressuring the governor to, you know, to to focus on such as releasing, you know, some of these folks that are approved for parole immediately.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, that's for sure. And going back to your uh, comment about basic needs, and this particular time, there's been a lot of interest in the food issue. Uh, just apparently, I don't know why they.
0: We have to
1: pa- pass out peanut butter and jelly sandwiches all the time. Uh, but uh, food is one of you know the most important things that we have to maintain our physical health, uh, not to mention uh, you know psychological health. And uh, I don't know if we have any time to go into that, but uh, I know yeah, that's on I, a we, lot of people... We mind. do
2: have a few minutes, Wolf. We, we, we've got about eight or nine minutes left. I, I would like to speak on that a little bit. The food... You know, I, it, it's not even the, it's not even that they don't want to give them food. It's that they're having to prepare the food. The guards are having to prepare the food. So whatever's the easy, easiest way to get out of that is what they're doing. I mean, they've got the food. There's plenty of food mm-hmm. on the unit. Let's see what? They just don't want to prepare it. You know, everything's so on we, the guard, especially if out- you're. If
4: it, Was that being outsourced? Was there a? an entity coming in and, and making the food, and now they can't come in and do it, so that's why correction officers no. are doing
2: it? No, they've always had to do it during lockdown, but I guess this is a different situation. Every now and then they can pull some guys out during lockdown and have them work. But I uh, guess because of the COVID, that's probably not happening. So they're probably doing all the work, uh, and, you know, it's not getting done, basically. Mm-hmm.
4: And, you know, I'm, I'm paying devil's advocate here for like 30 seconds. And um, there are people on the outside world and that different doctrine or personal constitutional say, well, who cares? You know, that's what they get. You know, they're, this is their punishment, you know, so on and so forth. But and to that, I would say it's not about, you know, the, it's not about um, that. And I see it as the mitigating risk. You know, the, the fact when they're not being fed, when they're not getting water, they're going to act out. It's a natural primal instinct. And I say act out, sure. you know, we're going back to what, what happened in Georgia. I'm trying to look at the risk factor here. So if I were to, if I had <coughs> the choice, well, I'm going to prepare a, a meal. We're not, we're not, talking caviar and prime rib. We're talking about just a decent meal, a basic that meets basic needs. They're just, you know, protein. Um, and then I'm thinking that's going to prevent a riot. Let's do it. Let's let's do it the right way. yeah you know, sure, many sure. Let's do it. And let's put it about the. You know, let's, let's do it. Um, if it's going to. Another no brainer. I see it on the radar. I think it's going to happen in Texas. It's just a matter of time. There's it's The the core is falling apart, and you know, with, I don't. Forget who the philosopher who said, you know, when the core can't doesn't hold, it all falls
2: apart. <laughs>
3: yeah. Well, Wolf, well, we've, uh,
2: we've got a few minutes left, Wolf. If you'd like to, you know, kind of say some closing statement or, you know, anything you'd like to share.
1: Well, there's uh, so many more subjects that we need to touch on that obviously. I do. I want none. to ask
2: you. I want to ask you to come back. We have so much we can speak about that's on our that's on our list. I would love to have you back on the show.
1: Yeah, no, that I would I would be very happy to do that uh, because Excellent. you know there's there's a lot there's a lot of subjects that need more discussion, more uh, public education, and uh, yeah, we absolutely need to do that. And I just want to let the listeners know if they're interested in looking at this document put together by the five texas prisoners just google responsible prison project uh google has it and uh you can read it yourself and get a lot more information than we could possibly cover in the two hours that we've been talking here
2: excellent excellent so all right well thank you so much uh wolf for coming on the show ladies and gentlemen it's wolf sittler uh We're talking about the Responsible Prison Project and Sandra Grace Martinez, my co-host, on several different things. And uh, I just really appreciate y'all coming on and sharing y'all's expertise with us today. Uh, I would like to have you come back, Wolf, and, you know, we can talk about these different things, the uh, excessive sentences, second look, independent oversight, work for no pay, and just so many other things, air conditioning, good time, work time. There's a lot of things we can cover And that are in the uh, RPP, and I would love to do that with you. So, uh, you know, there's an invitation to come back anytime you'd like. I would like to do it sooner than later, but, yes, thank you so much, Will, for coming on. Uh, Sandra Grace, I I will – no, go ahead, sir. uh, Well,
1: no, thank you for that, and I'm uh, available anytime to do that, and I really appreciate what you're doing uh, since you've gotten out of uh, prison, and I think, you know, it's all part of – there's so many people involved in this And the more the better And I really commend you for uh, everything you're doing On the behalf of
2: uh, everyone Well thank you Wolf I appreciate that Sandra Grace would you like to pray us out ma'am Yes sir
4: Thank you Heavenly Father For this time And we we just ask That you bring People together And and, and help them in, in healing and learning more about what is happening in our Texas Department of Criminal Justice System. I know, God, that you are in control of ultimately. You, have, you, you love us beyond belief. You love us in one second more than any person. can love us in a lifetime, and that is so comforting. And we ask you, Lord, in Jesus Christ's most precious and holy name, to look after inmates and our prisoners and touch their lives when the opportunity presents to to them.
2: I pray in Jesus Christ's name.
0: Amen.
2: Amen. Amen. Well, thank y'all so much for listening, and thank y'all for being on the show. Uh, This is Michael Ceballos. This is Cell Life, and we're signing out. I do want to sign off with uh, my friend Sandra Grace Martinez's thing. Uh, We may not have it all together, but together we have it all. all. Thank (laughs) y'all. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. (laughs)
0: Radio, Central Texas.